Hi, I'm Stanley Nelson, and I'm the director of Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. Music has always been like a curse with me. It's the first thing in my life, go to bed thinking about it and wake up thinking about it. That's all I live for. Miles started very early. He looked at things differently. He saw things differently. Without a doubt, the most unique person I've ever known. He wanted to be an artist just like Stravinsky. A lot of the old guys thought that if you went to school, it would make you play like you were white. If you learned something from theory, you would lose the feeling in your playing. I wanted to see what was going on in all of music. Juilliard, in the daytime and at night, he'd be on 52nd Street. He put the bell of his horn right into the microphone and changed the whole world of jazz right there. He comes up with a style that is truly reflective of who he is. He was angry, antisocial. But then he starts playing and people are like, oh, he just disarms you. He surrounded himself with young, emerging, unknown voices. We were kids. We were looking at every night going to a laboratory. Miles was a head chemist. He wanted us to live on the stage, creating in front of the people. Don't lean on what you know. What he was looking for is the stuff that you don't know. We didn't just want to play with Miles Davis. We wanted to be Miles Davis. Miles' audience was changing, absorbing what was happening now. If anybody wants to keep creating, they have to be about change. I lost my sense of discipline and started to drift. Before I knew it, I had a heroin habit. Miles becomes representative of a kind of cool, kind of sophistication, a kind of masculinity. Miles and Francis. I mean, we were a hot couple. The elevator opened and there he was. It was like in a movie when you meet the vampire and you know you're gonna die and you don't care. He becomes our black Superman. All I ever wanted to do was communicate what I felt through music. That is the trailer for the documentary Miles Davis, The Birth of the Cool. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, a London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. Today we're talking about Miles Davis, the iconic trumpeter and composer, and helping us to learn more about one of the most influential figures in 20th century music and the challenges of bringing his life to the big screen is acclaimed director and producer, Stanley Nelson. Stanley, welcome to Factual America. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Yeah, well, it's, uh, uh, it's great to have you. It's an honor. Uh, the, the film we're talking about today is Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. I gather originally out on a, a, the American Experience series on PBS, but now out on Netflix, I believe also Amazon, Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime, Apple, and other streaming platforms. Uh, so thanks again so much for coming onto the podcast, and thanks for making this film. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, now I'm going to ask you a, a question. I can't believe I'm asking, but I'm also aware that it's all, believe it or not, almost 30 years since Miles Davis uh, passed away. Uh, and so for a lot of our listeners may not even really know who Miles Davis is, believe it or not. Probably hard for you and I to believe, but uh, maybe you can give us a little, uh, little synopsis of who Miles Davis was. Uh, yeah, Miles Davis's career was, was so expansive that I'll, I'll try to, to be as um, but, you know, Miles Davis was a, a trumpet player um, from East St. Louis. He went to New York um, in around the middle of the 1940s. Um, when he was 18, he had a, a, a scholarship to uh, Juilliard. But he quickly uh, uh, migrated to the jazz scene and, and played with everybody, you know, uh, from Charlie Parker uh, on down, Dizzy Gillespie, everybody. Um, and he became one of the most celebrated musicians uh, of the 20th century. He um, changed jazz, you know, uh, three or four or five times. Mm -hmm. uh, went to the kind of cool jazz when he issued an album called The Birth of the Cool in the early 50s. He uh, invented kind of what was called hard bop uh, afterwards. And then 
he you know switched uh, jazz uh, altogether when he uh, made the album Kind of Blue, which is still the largest selling jazz album in the history of music. Um, one of the classic albums. If you don't know about Miles Davis, I suggest that you start with Kind of Blue. It's one of the greatest pieces of art uh, in any century. I think that, you know, I would challenge anybody to not like Kind of Blue. It's just almost a perfect album. Yeah. Coltrane and Hannibal Adams and, and others. He then yeah. went on kind of invent fusion music when he uh, um, uh, kind of uh, went electric um, and, and made an album called Bitches Brew. Um, and, and so he was responsible for so many changes, not only in jazz, but also in music. Yeah. I, I think you've done an amazing job sum, summing it up, as, as hard as it is to do that in a, in a matter of a couple minutes. Um, I mean, and I would agree with you, kind of blue, there are not many albums I can listen to just on a loop and never get tired of. And um, I could have that on all day, all day long. Um, I, it drives my wife crazy, but you know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one I often, I mean, I've, I was, this got me, I think the great thing about this film is it, I don't know why, but some of these of his great albums I've, I have, I've, but they've stayed on the shelf and, uh, it got me thinking about some of these, um, whether it's sort of the prestige era with like, I've got working with the Miles Davis Quintet, Miles Ahead, Sketches of Spain, the, the work with Gil Evans. It's all just so, so iconic. And you've already talked about his hands and all the different, uh, whether it's bebop, hard bop, cool jazz, uh, acid jazz, fusion onto rock, uh, genre defying. I mean, he's sort of this, he is the, the, I was going to say the link, but he's really the the almost the strand that takes jazz through the uh, most of the twentieth century, isn't he? Yeah, like 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 somebody said, you know, he's the only person that even you could imagine playing from everybody, uh, everybody from Charlie Parker to Prince. You know, a clip of his with Prince near the end of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, you did have that in the, you do have that in the film. I hadn't realized he had performed with Prince and that's, uh, and uh, it's, it's his son who says they're like, uh, they were made for each other in some ways. Yeah, they were, they were talking about doing an album together and, uh, but they did, you know, perform together a couple of times and uh, we were lucky enough to arrange from, from Prince's estate to actually yeah. get. Yeah. I mean, you, I, you've already sort of touched on it, but I mean, what did he mean to jazz? And then what did he mean to music uh, generally? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to describe, you know, Miles and what he meant, um, you know, just by kind of listing what, what he did. Because mm -hmm. the first thing is that, you know, he was a, a, um, an innovator with everything that he did. And also that he created, you know, incredible music. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Miles just said, oh, you know, let, let me do an album, you know, with, with a huge orchestra, like, you know, throwing type orchestra, you know, the, 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 the music, um, uh, you know, that, that he did. But, you know, he did it and he, and he innovated and, and just, you know, did great, great things. So Miles was in, in so many ways, you know, a leader um, mm. in jazz and in music. You know, so many rock groups have, you know, uh, have, uh, really, you know, gotten so much out of, uh, you know, his later albums, uh, like Bitches Brew, etc. You know, um, mm. we actually hear from rock musicians, you know, kind of thank us for the film because they, they really got so much out of, out of the film. You know, I mean, he, he kind of invented the, the, the idea of, of jazz, rock fusion, you know, um, you know in, in, the, in the late 60s when he just said, you know, hey, you know, I want to do something different. I think that it's really telling that, that, you know, his son tells us later in the film that, you know, Miles never had his own albums around the house. You know, yeah. he didn't listen to his own music because he, you know, he was, all, he was always ahead. He was on to the next thing and, and, and just, you know, incorporating, uh, you know, different sounds into his music. You know, he, he um, in, in, a, in one album on the corner, you know, he, he, he has a tabla player, a sitar player. But again, you know, it's not like, you know, let's do something different to do something different. It's like he, he, he really created something different and, and a new style of music every time. 
I, I think that was what I took away from it as well was how he surrounded himself with um, this. Uh, well, as you said, he didn't want to go back. He, I, I think whether in your film or I've heard otherwise, he, he didn't even listen to his old stuff sometimes or for years. Uh, but he surrounded himself with this amazing young talent. Each each permutation of his career and next stage was just uh, these amazing. I mean, what was it? One of the drummers was only 17, I think. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I mean, he, you know, he launched so many careers. You know, Old yeah. Train, uh, um, Cannonball Adderley early on. You know, later, mm. on, uh, John McLaughlin. You know, um, uh, Tony Williams, the seventeen-year-old drummer, uh, Keith Jarrett. You know, uh, Chick Corea. I mean, you know, you yeah, could amazing. On and on and on with, with the people that 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 he really, you know, launched that that launched out of his group you know now those people are great musicians you know and so that you know yeah. they may have launched anyway but but the way that they did launch was by playing with miles davis yeah. and i think i th can't remember his exact words but he says something to the effect that uh you know one reason for that he's he's just looking for as you said he's looking for excellent musicians um geniuses some ways in their own right um and um, I mean, what do you think was the essence of of Miles's genius? I, you know, I, I I think that you know so many different things. I mean, I think that that first of all, you know, he loved music, you know, and that you know, for for musicians and great musicians, you know, music means something to them that it doesn't to most people. You know, I mean, I like to listen to music, but I'm not obsessed. You know. <laughs> loved music and different kinds of music and he he loved change you know that's just what he was he was about you know constantly you know changing and, and developing um, and, and, and trying new things and he had a huge talent for finding great musicians you know great young musicians and playing with them. you know he there's one line in the film from, from miles where you know you know he says you know something like you know um yeah, I play with young guys because, you know, I, I don't see what, what, what age has to do with it, right? It, yeah. You know, you either got it or you don't, and age has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, so that, that was, you know, a, a big risk that, you know, he, he, he came out and, and just stepped forward so many different times. He really risked it. You know, I mean, look, Kind of Blue was, was recorded in like 58, 59, you know, that was, again, you know, the most popular jazz album ever made. It's been the most popular jazz album. Miles Davis could have sent, spent the rest of his career touring <laughs> and playing Kind of Blue. He could have, okay, you know, we're going to play Kind of Blue in our, you know, just, just you know, the, the, the five or six tracks that are on Kind of Blue, we're just going to play it in order and, and over and over and over again. He would have made zillions, you know, but no, he, he, he didn't, he said, okay, you know, I'll play, I'll play some of the songs off of there for a little while, but then I'm going to go on, yeah. you know, go on and do something different. I don't, I, I, I do remember, because I, I, my memory of him is, 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 a, is, is a kid, basically, and his stage where he was on TV a lot in the 80s, you know, with uh, all doing all the talk shows. But I do seem to remember an interview that struck me and has always stayed with me was that he said something to the effect that uh, he go to a Lakers game, an LA Lakers basketball game. And that every, you know, everyone else is watching the game. They're watching Magic Johnson. And he's just, he says what he hears is the sound, I mean, the sound of the feet and the beat of, of, the, of the game. He could, in, in many ways, he couldn't turn it off, it seems to me. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great story. Um, we actually don't use it in the film. Yeah. He made a great, great musician play with Miles. You know, told told me that story. I mean, he was he was sitting next to Miles at the game, and they go to a basketball game, and Miles is like not even looking at the game. You know, he's like still feeling it. And Chubbs like, well, you know, why don't you watch the game? What are you doing? And he said, I'm listening. And, you know, he's like listening to what? He's like listening to the sound of the sneakers squeaking. Yeah. You know, and if you ever been to a live basketball game, that's kind of the first thing you notice that 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 the sneakers squeak and make this make these sounds on the floor that you kind of yeah. watching. On television, um, but that was Miles. I mean, you know, just just everything was 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 music. You know, all his life, 
you know, um, when he first comes to New York at 18, he's, he's going to Juilliard, you know, uh, you know, famous school of music. He's going to Juilliard for classical trumpet. And at night, he's playing with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, you know, on 52nd Street. And then he goes home and, and he, he borrows scores from the library uh, of, uh, of Juilliard. And he goes home after, you know, those clubs end at like one or two in the morning. And he's reading scores and, and pouring over scores with other musicians, you know, classical scores until the morning. Then he goes to Ju Juilliard, you know, yeah. and he's just, you know, I mean, he's just uh, soaked in, in music. And, and, yeah, and and it strikes is I think it strikes anyone who sees this film is that uh, yes, it was jazz or whatever he wants to call it. I mean, I, I seeing when you do watch archives of him, and I, we can talk more about that in a little bit. You know, it's sometimes hard to know what to take serious sometimes when he when he's talking. But uh, um, you get the feeling it didn't have you know. So he says, well, I don't call it jazz or whatever. But whatever you call the music, it could have been anything. He could have been a, an amazing classical musician. He could have done anything really and and he did do so many different things um so um but you know the film's called birth of the cool um what do we mean by the cool oh uh, you know that was the the the, the title of one of miles's first album was, was yeah cool um that he did with, with gil evans um the famous uh, composer who he worked with you know time and again you know throughout out his career and, um, you know, I just thought that that was a, a great title. I mean, you know, that, that my, Miles was the coolest person on earth, you know. You know they used to have that commercial, you know, uh, uh, forgot about the coolest guy on earth or something. I mean, Miles mm -hmm. was the coolest guy on earth, you know. I mean, you have to see the film, but, you know, not only, um, you know, was he a great jazz musician, but he, you know, he drove, you know, Ferraris and Maserati. He, he went out with the most beautiful women in the world, um, you know, Francis Davis, his, his first wife, and, and longtime lover, is, is in the film, um, and she's just—I mean, so you have to see the film to understand yeah. what I say. But, but you know, Francis is just like a trip. I mean, she's like a something from Central Casting, you know. Um, in the film, she was a, a beautiful, beautiful dancer mm -hmm. and his wife. You know, um, you know, I mean, he had it all. You know, he had the tailored suits from the from the early fifties. You know. The pictures of Miles, you know, at his at the tailor getting his tailored suits made. You know, he wanted he wanted the best of everything, and and he was just really cool. Yeah. The other thing that 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 we talk about in the film that you know I, I'm so proud that we that we're able to talk about this is you know Miles was a really dark skinned African American, you know, and mm. and you know at the time where you know you know if you had dark skin, you know you were you were not cool, you were not handsome. Yeah. So Miles threw that all away because you know, as someone said, said to me, you know, um, you know, um, Miles was the handsomest guy he had ever been exposed to, you know, and Miles was just pretty, you know, especially, you know, in, in, in the early days, you know, and, and, and he's not only pretty, but he, he's living the life and he's, he's making the life for himself by playing the trumpet, you know, for a few hours every night, you know, so Miles was, you know, just, just a, a really interesting guy. So I mean, I, I just thought that the, the the name "Birth of the Cool" um, uh, in some ways, you know, um, led you into Miles' story. Yeah, I don't think there are too many people whose silhouette is iconic. You know, you could probably name those on one hand, and you know, I think you see that on album covers or whatever. It's just his silhouette. You know, immediately it's it's Miles Davis playing the trumpet. It's incredible, but but also, I mean, you know, the way he dressed. I mean, you know. So, I mean, we had literally thousands of pictures, thousands <laughs> because, you know, we had, we had access to the Sony archives, you know, Columbia, uh, Columbia you know, is now Sony and the Columbia archives, Sony archives, you know, uh, photographers, you know, we, uh, individual photographers who took hundreds of pictures of Miles, thousands of pictures. Miles was never not dressed, not, not in one was he not dressed, not, not in one, you know, I mean, everything is like, whoa. You know, it's, it's just, um, you know, and, and, and not in dressed in, in any way where it's like, you know, formal or, you know, it looks like, you know, someone dressed you, you know what I mean? Like, so like, yeah. someone wear this. No, he just, you know, he just like looked like that, you know, like Miles, Miles could wear, you know, 
a black suit and a white shirt and a scarf tied around his neck, you know, and yeah. it was like, oh, you know, he, he just was, you know, something else. Yeah. I, yet, um, who was Miles Davis the man? Because like a lot of great artists, he, he's, or may, like many of us, really, I'm not saying I am, but I mean, he was, he was complicated. He was a complex in, in, individual, wasn't he? And, and that's what that's what really made the, the the film exciting, you know, is 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 that Miles was so complex, you know, he wasn't, you know, um, you know, like some musicians um, that will go unnamed, you know, great musicians, great jazz musicians, but they're kind of one dimensional. You know, Miles was, you know, Miles was 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 just an amazing individual, um, you know, in that he he made some of the most beautiful music ever ever made. I mean. You know, the, 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 the tender Miles Davis, um, you know, makes you want to cry. You know, that was great scene. I mean, it's, it's like, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's probably the, the, uh, the sequence that I'm, I'm most proud of in, you know, all of 40 years or whatever I've been making films. But when we talk about Miles' balance and, and you know, the great, you know, affinity that they had for balance. And, you know, a one woman says, you know, um, you know, I want to feel like Miles sound. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I, and one thing I wasn't aware of is that, um, what is it, the Louis Mal film that he did the, uh, the, the score for. It's, it's absolutely amazing that scene you, you have archive of him uh, just complete, uh, you know, ad-libbing while just by watching the, the film and that's what they went with. So, you know, Miles goes to, to, to France, I think in 1957-58, and, um, you know, he just got a bunch of gigs, and Louis Miles, you know, was, I think it might be Louis Miles' first film, you know, famous French director, yeah. and he asked Miles to, to do the soundtrack for a film uh, that, that's in English called Elevator to the Gallows, and you can still actually get it, you know, I just watched yeah. it, um, and, and uh, Miles goes in and, and uh, he puts the, you know, the Louis puts the film up on the screen and Miles plays directly to the, to the film, you know, and, and, you know, without writing anything, just kind of some sketches and, you know, it's, it's, it's become one of the, you know, most famous uh, soundtrack, probably the you know, most famous soundtrack, you know, jazz soundtracks in, in, in film. But, but it's, it's so wonderful because they actually filmed Miles playing. So you actually yeah. see oh, and yeah. the, the screen, you know, uh, in, in the background, and, and, and you see the scene that he's playing to, and then we cut to the, to the actual film, cut back to Miles playing. You know, it's, it's, it's just a, a beautiful scene, and, uh, you know, again, the soundtrack is incredible. I think we're going to take a little early break here uh, for our listeners, and then we'll be um, right back with uh, Stanley Nelson. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Stanley Nelson, award-winning director and producer of Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. So, uh, Stanley, how did this project come about? I mean, besides someone thinking maybe Miles Davis would be a good person to have a doc about. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it had kind of an interesting uh, gestation period. So, um, I don't know, about 15 years ago, uh, we thought about doing the project. Um, I, I, I actually, you know, kind of proposed that to a, a TV show in the United States called American Masters. Mm -hmm. um, Profiles artists, um, and uh, they, they said okay. And uh, we went and talked to the family uh, who controls Miles' estate, and they said, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I kind of was introduced to them, met them, and they said, yeah. And then, for whatever reasons, you know, the, the film kind of fell apart. Um, but I kind of stayed in, you know, lose contact with the family, and and uh, really, my wife, you know, Marsha, who's my partner. Mm -hmm. uh, saying to me, oh, you know, what about the Miles film? You know you want to do the Miles film. Come on, what about the Miles film? You know, and I was like, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, four years ago, I guess, now, um, I called, I finally, you know, I said, okay, okay, okay. I called American Masters 
And um, they said, you know, that they were they had been actually on the phone, you know, the week before with Eagle Rock uh, Entertainment out of London, and that they that they wanted to do Miles, and that you know American ex American Masters wanted to do Miles, and you know they would each put in half of the money and and let's go. And so I called the family, and they said, yeah, we're still down, you know, you know, if you direct, and that's how the project got started. And then. How do you go about making a doc about a legend like Miles Davis? I mean, that's got to be a challenge. First thing you have to do is, is make yourself so you're not scared. <laughs> I'm just going to do the best I possibly can, you know, and, and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. You know, again, I, I'm a huge Miles fan. Um, and, you know, I understood his importance. I mean, one of the first things that I, I did was approach the editor, uh, Louis Erskine, who I had made a couple of films with early on, you know, The Murder of Emmett Till and Freedom, Freedom Riders and some other films. Yeah. Like, I love Louis and I had, we hadn't worked together for a few years. Um, and I, you know, he loves jazz and he kind of has a real, uh, uh, he's kind of a real, a real artist. And so I, I you know, I, approached him and he said that, that he, would, he would love to do it and uh you know we, we just got got started i think that you know one of the things we had to do was was you know make make certain uh assumptions you know or, or, or state certain right but we we can't include every album miles ever you know yeah, it's 40 years of music or whatever so you know some people are going to say oh why didn't you include this album or why didn't you include this song and we'll just let the tips fall where they may, because that's going to be, you know, what we're going to do. And then, you know, we thought really hard about how you, how you kind of uh, trans transform, uh, you know, music onto film. I mean, that's you know, we look at so we really thought hard about that, and we really wanted to include a lot of music, you know, because I, I. I I watched a bunch of, you know, documentaries, music documentaries, and sometimes, you know, they're talking about somebody for an hour and a half, two hours, and you still have no idea what the person sounds like. So I wanted to use a lot of music. I think we have like 62 different cuts or something. <laughs> you, know, you know, a lot of music. Um, and, you know, we, we, we just kind of, you know, bit the bullet and went for it. But I, I also think that because, you know, um, Lewis and I love Miles so much that, you know, we felt that, that we were had, we had, you know, Miles on our shoulder, you know, like saying, mess this up, don't mess this up, you know, <laughs> that, 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 you know, um, so, you know, we, we tried to put everything, everything, everything that, that we had, you know, as filmmakers you know, into this film. I think that's, that's funny because, uh, I had written down here too. Um, uh, what would Miles say about this? Because I, I mean, even even getting ready for this, I wasn't even thinking about you know, the. Uh, I mean, I was obviously thinking about having you on, but I kept the part of me was kept thinking because I, I I don't know if it's in your film or something else I watched where uh, Miles is just basically telling the interview to, viewer to stop being silly and get straight to the point and ask the questions better and stuff like that. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was, and you know, that's uh, it, you know, you, to have that that voice, that very iconic voice in your ear the whole time. Um, and then do you feel, did you feel pressure to try to out-cool Miles Davis? I mean, that's got to, you know, because it's going to be hard to please a lot of people with this with this film, because they're all going to have their own different kinds of expectations. No, I mean, you can't out-cool Miles. I mean, no, I can't. You know, I mean, I, I, I admit that, you know, freely. I mean, I, I couldn't try to have a few miles. And I, I think that, that one of the things that we said, you know, to, to Miles' family and Miles' state early on was that, you know, I'm, I, I have to make a film warts and all. You know, some of the things, you know, the things about Miles, you know, the negative things, you know, drug use and other things, you know, have, have, have already been stated and, and have already been known. So, you know, you can't avoid that. So that's part of Miles. And that's part of, you know, um, what we uh, went into the film, you know, knowing that we were gonna, that, that we were gonna put into the film, you know? So, um, I, you know, I, one of the best compliments I, I had in one of the first screenings that we had in the film with Miles' family is they said, you know, hey, Miles would have loved this film. 
was like, whoa, okay, that's <laughs> that's all you that's all you need to say. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to bed because I, you know, <laughs> gonna be better than that. I think that's that's amazing. That's that's excellent. I mean, how did you decide? How I mean, you know, there's various ways you could tell this story. Um, I forget the name of the actor you use who does the voiceover and all in, I mean, that that's interesting. You just, you use all of all, everything that all the voiceover is completely Miles's words, aren't they? Yeah. So, so Carl Lomley, yeah. um, you know, uh, personifies Miles and, uh, you know, we used um, uh, lots of quotes from his autobiography and, and other statements to have Miles, Miles be the narrator of his own life, you know? And, and Miles, you know, for those who don't know, had this had that very distinctive voice um, because of a throat operation. And uh, early on, in the, in the middle 50s, and, and the doctor told him that he, he couldn't talk, you know, for like a month. Like, they don't talk, you just, you know. And Miles got mad at somebody and cursed him out. And so the rest of his life, he talked like this, you know, I talk like this. And, and uh, you know, so that that uh, Carl Carl Lumley, you know, does uh, hit the, the Miles kind of narration, you know, from Miles' own words, you know, in that voice, in Miles' voice. But but also, what was incredible is that every time you know people who knew Miles told stories about, him, they went into the voice, you know, naturally. Like the first three or four, you know, people that we interviewed, like you know, they said Miles once told me. You know, you gotta play with more soul, man. You gotta play with more soul. Yeah. So that, you know, that was what they did. And so, you know, then we, we started, you know, saying, well, you know, asking, well, if you quote Miles, you know, you should use use his voice because, you know, one person didn't, and it sounded really weird because everybody else did. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm saying running joke, but yeah, it's it's kind of a running joke in the film because everybody says, you know, everyone they when they quote Miles, and you know, Miles was quotable. Yeah, <laughs> cursed after every word, and you know, um, and and he just, you know, just, you know, like was a was a font of, of uh, fountain quotes, you know. So yeah. there's a lot of that. I think even I, I that's one thing I noticed as well and I think it's it's abs again it's it, it it's uh it is a bit of a not a you know it's it is a running joke I mean and I I liked it the fact that everyone had their own miles impression um including his ex-wife which uh brings me to these you you've already raised the the amazing array of uh subjects and interviews that you have on this film uh and Odd, you know, sadly, or maybe, you know, they were all getting up in age. Many have passed just even since the film was released. Um, but uh, thank goodness you got them all on camera. Um, and, um, but I found, you know, so we're talking about Francis Taylor, Juliet Greco. I noticed Jimmy Cobb and Jimmy Heath have both passed away, I think. Uh, but the interviews with Francis Taylor and Juliet uh, Greco, those were so poignant. Um, Especially, I think Frances Taylor. I mean, that uh, I, I was just amazed by her. What was that like interviewing her? Um, you know, before we did the interview, you know, I'm in New York and I, I'm in, you know, and she was in LA. You know, I, I was speaking um, with, with 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 somebody, um, and and they said, you know, um, you know, you're gonna like Frances. She's got jokes. You know, <laughs> and I don't know what they meant. You know. And, and, but, you know, interviewing her, I mean, the only thing that you can say is that she's a trip. I mean, she was just a trip, you know, and, and you know, she's really, she's really smart and she's really funny. And, you know, it's like, what, did she just say that? You know, like, like, so she says this thing about, you know, when she, when she first meets Miles and Miles asks her out and she says, you know, like, nah, you know, I didn't know anything about jazz. I didn't know anything about Miles Davis. What I knew is Johnny Mathis, you know? <laughs> she says it so, you know, so seriously. And, you know, but she's, she's, you know, she's just kidding with you and, 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 and joking with you all, all the time. You know, I, I, I can say, you know, that, that it's something I think that, you know, ha that all, that also has to do with her being so incredibly beautiful, 
you know, I mean, so if, if you, you know, if you don't know, look up uh, uh, Someday My Prince Will Come. She's the woman that's on the cover of the album. Just look up the album, Someday My Prince Will Come. It's a picture of her, you know. I, I remember staring at my father's album when I was like nine years old, you know. <laughs> my Prince Will Come, and I didn't even know why. But I was just looking at it because it's like she's she's like un, she's like incredibly, incredibly, uh, you know, uh, 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 beautiful and um, you know just just funny and smart and um, you know at first when, when we did the interview you know we didn't know we really didn't know how to handle it you know because we we had it cut up in different places in in, in the film and, and and you know finally. One day I just, you know, went into the edit room and I said, you know, let's put all the Francis stuff together. Yeah. Let's just yeah. let Francis go. You know, like, let's just, let's just like mm -hmm. get the off the horse and just let it go, you know, like, because, you know, every time she, if you would cut to her and then, you know, cut to another story, then she would like steal the show. And so we just had to kind of like let, let her, let her, let Francis be Francis. Um, you know, um, she's one of those things that, 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 you know, when you're making it, documentary film you know you just kind of you know you get into the edit room and you're like oh my god you know like <laughs> I, well you know i you know i realized that it was a nice interview but you know i'm, I'm more worried about you know the lights and that's you know everything yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no I, I i loved i think she says um I had the I had the best legs in Hollywood or something and she goes and I still do or something like that I mean it's like uh, and she's in her 80s and uh yeah, it's a very, you know, it's extremely, I, I, well, credit to you. I mean, well, you're the director and you're, uh, you're acclaimed and award-winning, but uh, I think it does work so well keeping that all together because it's, it is a very poignant interview because you can see um, even all these years on the love and also the uh, anguish that was the nature of her relationships as, as well with, with Miles and pointing again to this, complex uh, and you said warts and all character that that was miles davis so um um you know um uh you know that, that miles you know had abusive relationships with women you know constantly yeah. all yep. um and and uh you know we don't shy away from that you know we, we, we talk about that um and you know miles even talks about it later later in his life and, and francis certainly you know, talks about you know, you know the miles is striking her and and yeah. uh, you know and, and the horribleness of it you know so um, but again I, I think that 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 uh, you know that as you say the the love you know comes through that Francis you know as she says in the end you know you know I, I still love you know um, mm -hmm. the other woman that 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 miles um, you know was associated with that we interviewed. I mean, look, it, it, you know, Miles is, it, it, it is a unique individual. I can't, I mean, certainly, you know, if, if you have a, if you have an affair with him or, or, you know, like she was with him for nine years, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to, uh, you know, you've got, well, you've got this amazing catalog of, of work. Um, and one, one strain is, um, I would say is sort of, documenting black men in the in the limelight if that's maybe a poor way of putting it but uh, miles davis uh you did the espn 30 for 30 with michael vick uh you did the black panthers vanguard of the revolution i mean is there are there lessons we can draw from you know sort of what miles davis went through as being this persona as a as a black man who is also this cultural icon I, I think that that you know, um, as as we made the film, there's something that that started to emerge and that really emerged in the final cut. Um, that it's really you know not only the story of Miles Davis, but it's the story of you know uh, African Americans, especially African American men, you know, in 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 the mid 20th century, you know, that 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 the times that Miles lived through, um, and, and so the, there there's a lot about Miles that's obviously unique. But there's a lot uh, about Miles that that obviously you know uh, connects to all you know humans, but also you know uh, also all all African Americans, all African American men. You know, I think one of the running pieces in the film was that, and many people don't know, you know, Miles was born in East St. Louis, Illinois, and his his father was the second richest black man in Illinois. You know, he 
Phillips. You know, Miles had, you know, they, they had a house in East St. Louis, but also a farm outside, and Miles had a horse, you know, a horses all his life, you know, and Miles was, you know, grew up, you know, very, very, very upper middle class. And, um, you know, but, but still he grew up in, you know, America at that time. He was born in 1926. You know, and and also you know St. Louis that that's really the South, you know, and and, and Miles, uh, you know, so that 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 being rich, you know, couldn't protect him, you know, um, that that being you know a, a, a great and celebrated jazz musician could not protect him. There's an amazing scene where you know um, kind of blue again, the most popular jazz album ever has just come out. You know, he's the talk of the town, uh, and he's playing in a club. In downtown New York, and, and a cop, he goes out to smoke a cigarette, and the cop tells him, like, you know, move on, you know, and and, and Miles says, you know, is my name up on up on the marquee, right? You know, I'm smoking a cigarette. Why, why do I have to move on? And he, and he takes a a beating, you know, from from the cops. The cops jump him and, and beat him with their nightsticks. Um, you know, people run out of the club, and 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 luckily, you know. Uh, uh, there's, there's people who take pictures of him, so it's like a really well-documented scene. Jimmy Cobb, who's in the film, is there. Uh, Francis runs down, you know, when they, they actually arrest Miles. And, you know, he's all bloody, and he's wearing a white jacket. You know, there's blood all over it. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that no, no amount of fame or prestige could protect him from, from the racism of America. And Miles, so, and Miles internalized that, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, but it's really interesting to me because, you know, different people might have internalized it in different ways, mm -hmm. right? Well, my, I might have internalized it like, you know, what the heck, you know, I, you know, so there's some bad people, you know, but Miles really internalized it and, you know, it, it, it meant to him, you know, that, that he could never escape, you know, like, well, well what can I do, you know, to, to kind of escape the, the racism uh, of the uh, United States? Do you think that drove some of the um, the drug abuse and problems he had with substances? I'm sure it drove everything. You know, I, yeah. you know, I, I, you know. He actually says that you know, um, you know, earlier on in 1949, he goes to Paris for the first time and falls in love with Julia Greco, and, uh, um, and, and just you know, plays gigs in, in, in Paris, and, and you know, it's a toast of the town, and you know, he he sees a different world. He sees a, a, a different world where the overt racism of white folks in the United States is not there, you know, yeah. the celebrated by, by the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the artistic society of, of, of Paris. Um, Juliet begs him to stay. He leaves and he becomes very, really depressed. And he says, you know, it's, it's on account of coming back to the United States and the same thing, you know, that was there, um, was there when he left, you know, and so many African-Americans, you know, um, you know, in that period, and still, you know, um, are, are kind of facing that, and 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 move to Europe, and, and move, you know, to Europe because the, you know, look, there, there's racism everywhere, and there's racism there, but it's different, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, Kenny Clark, uh, the drummer that's with him, stays. He stays in, in Europe. Um, and so Miles, you know, says that, and and you know, he says that that you know, just he really becomes bitter, and he. Uh, uh, cycles down into uh, kind of the worst heroin habit that 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 he has in his life where he really you know hits rock bottom. I think you know the one thing that your film reminded me of as well is a film that we've had here discussed on the podcast is uh, I am not your Negro with about James Baldwin and it's similar in that uh, we get an actor uh, um, to do the they do the voiceover it's all in James Baldwin's words as well and it was uh, and again someone who moved to France and stayed. Um, um, and what do you, I mean, I think you do talk about in the film, um, uh, and I know it's discussed in other, um, other ways, but uh, what, did, what did Miles Davis mean to the African-American community? I think, you know, um, as he gained more and more pop popularity, so like in, 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 the, in the late 50s, you know, we talk about him as being an icon. You know, to the community. You know, I think in Tume talks about the fact that that you could just walk around carrying a Miles Davis album. You know, under your and that made you hip. You know, so yeah. <laughs> he 
becomes, you know, I mean, he becomes a standard of excellence. He becomes a black man, you know, as someone says, who, who doesn't take any shit. You know, he becomes, you know, a black man who, who, who demands excellence, not only in his art, but, but also in, in, in his life. So, you know, he's, he's wearing tailor-made suits. He's driving Maseratis. He's, uh, he's creating some of the greatest music, you know, of the 20th century. Um, all, you know, um, you know, at the time when uh, the civil rights movement is just kicking off. So Miles meant a lot to the, to the black community that, you know, he demanded uh, excellence. And, and, you know, um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it's hard for, for people who, who weren't around then to understand. But, you know, um, you know, black people in the United States weren't, weren't supposed to demand excellence. They weren't supposed to get excellence, right? You're supposed to sit on the back of the bus right? You're supposed to go to the back of the restaurants. You're supposed to get the crappy hotel rooms. You know, you were supposed to, you know, you, know, you had to buy clothes where you, where you couldn't try on clothes. You know, in, in, in many places, you could not try clothes. You had to buy ill-fitting clothes. You know, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't return it. You know, oh, it didn't, didn't well, touch your black skin. No, you can't. So, you know, um, but, but Miles demanded excellence and he demanded excellence in everything. You know, he, he also, you know, he demanded excellence, you know, in, in his gigs, you know. So Miles would, you know, they would tell, you know, Miles and his group, oh, you know, play another set. And he would say, pay me again. When you want to play me to play another set, you have to pay me, right? We have a great story in the film that we didn't use where, um, you know, uh, Archie Shep, the jazz, jazz uh, saxophones, was going uh, to Europe <clears throat> to play. Uh, in a in a, uh, a festival, and Miles's band is also on the on the on the uh, on the plane, and Miles's band is in first class. And Archie's like, you know, like he goes to the promoters and says, like, what the hell, you know, why am I in, not in first class, right? And and Miles, you know, says to him, put it in the contract. <laughs> you know? The contract that he, he he and his band had to travel first class. You know, he changed the standards for all jazz musicians by the way. It, it reminds me of probably someone I guess who's almost exact same age would have been. Um, we we've had a someone who did the uh, Chuck Berry documentary that's come out recently. He also a St. Louis product and uh, sounds in some ways reminded me of similarly. He was. Uh, stories about how he would only get paid it's different uh, but uh, he'd only get paid in cash up front in a paper bag you know that that kind of stuff and uh, you know uh, relayed some some funny stories too about uh, i think he was here on a concert in in the UK and they were going to pay again give him a, a bag full of pounds sterling and he wouldn't take it he said no it has to be US dollars and so they had to spend a a good day just running around town trying to find 10,000 US dollars that they could convert and, and then put in a bag so he could still come on the show. Well, um, that, that, you know, that, that a lot of them understand what, you know, musicians, you know, jazz musicians, any musicians, you know, went through and probably still go through, yeah. you know, that, you know, the, you know, you're playing a club and, and the owner says, well, I'll pay you at the end of the night, you know, after I get the money from the door. And then, you know, um, you know, you go to get your pay afterwards and he comes with a couple of thugs, bodyguards, you know, and he says, well, no, nah, I'm going to pay you half because we only made half the money. Right. He's like, I don't, you know, I'm paying you half, you know, and two big, huge guys standing there with nightsticks and guns, you know. Um, that's what musicians, you know, you know, always had, had to work through. So, you know, musicians learn, you know, you, you yeah. got before, you know, definitely you got to pay me before I hit the stage. Because once I hit the stage, I know you're not going to pay me. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, we were, just before that, we were talking about, um, you know, that uh, incident in front of the, um, I think it was Birdland, but the, that incident with the police and uh, what he meant for the African-American community. I mean, in this year of sort of, of Black Lives Matter and you as a documentarian and historian if, as well, I would say. Um, well, I mean, what do you make of a, a year like this one? And, or would, what, what do you think Miles would think of, a, of, of what's going on in the, in the world? Happy New Year. <laughs> 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 um, 
motherfuckers would think too. Like, let's just get the hell out of this year. <laughs> exactly. That, you know, I mean, you know, some good has come of, of the year. You know, some good has, has come with, um, you know, with, with the murder of George Floyd, with Black Lives Matter. You know, um, I think that, that, you know, for some white folks, they have had to, you know, you know, um, really look at, uh, you know, where, where we are, um, mm -hmm. way that, that they have, you know, I think that, that, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, that, that, that'll continue. I mean, that's not just, you know, kind of a passing fancy, you know, um, I also think that, you know, it, it, it's very, um, discouraging and troubling, you know, when 72 million people vote for Donald Trump, you know, and, and you know, and seem like, you know, um, uh, you know, this country is, is so, so divided and that, you know, the, the, the complete and utter failure of his presidency and the over 200,000 people that were, that had been killed um, when he was, was uh, you know, was when, when the uh, presidential vote came in, you know, still didn't stop, you know, over 7 million people from voting. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, that, that you know, there's some some reasons to be encouraged, but there's very many reasons to be uh, discouraged. And you know the you know, um, you know uh, COVID you know you know still rampaging through the United States, and, and, uh, you know, and certain people are, are, are saying that, that it's a hoax and that failure and refusing to wear masks. Uh, I know our time's coming to an end, uh, unfortunately, but uh, if, I, if I may, I just have a couple more things I want to ask you, um, if, you if that's okay, if you've got a couple more minutes. Um, um, you're, the, you're our first winner of a National Humanities Medal to come on the show. Um, what was that like? And you got to go to the White House and, it was, and to have it presented by uh, President Barack Obama. That must have been quite a thrill. Yeah, that was great. I mean, you know... Um... They, they make it a, a great day uh, you know, um, for you and your family. You know, they, they say you, know, you can invite whoever you want, however many family members that you want. You know, my wife and three kids came. Excellent. And, you know, get the award and then they have a big, you know, kind of huge buffet. I mean, like huge and Marine Band is playing. And, you know, it, it's funny because when you talk about the Marine Band, you think of a certain thing, but like the Marine Band is made up best musicians in the Marines and they can play anything. Mm. You know, like they, they played hip hop, they played jazz, <laughs> they played, I mean, like, it, they're, they're incredible. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they, they kind of can roam around, you know, the White House and, and you know, spend, you know, a few, a few hours there. So they kind of don't wish you in and don't wish you out because they know that, you know, like, you know, this is once in a lifetime thing. So it, it, it was very, it was very, very, wonderful and you know it just made it even more wonderful that that uh, you know Barack Obama yes I think um well and also um well what's next for you um I don't don't imagine you have any plans to retire anytime soon so uh, do you have any projects you can tell us about that are upcoming yeah I have a, a film uh, uh on on the on the crack era um, in the United States called crack um and it's uh, it actually just was announced um, a few days ago, and it, it'll be on Netflix on January 11th. And, uh, they just released the trailer, um, so you can yeah, see the trailer for, for this film, uh, Crack. And uh, you know, I'm really excited about that. And uh, I, I'm working on a film on, on the Attica Rebellion, uh, which will which will um, be the 50th anniversary. Uh, 
other work that we're doing with uh, Firelight Media. With us. And with Firelight Media, what is, uh, I, I did come across that, and I think it's, it's amazing stuff you're doing. Um, what's one piece of advice you would give to aspiring young um, documentarians? Uh, I would say, you know, um, make sure that, that you really want to do it and that you love documentaries. Um, because, you know, a lot of times you, you, you think about, you know, being on a podcast, you know, or uh, winning awards at Sundance, and that's, you know, a very slim part of my life. But but really concrete advice I would say is you know see a lot of documentaries you know, you, you have now to see almost anything you know and, and just see see films and, and understand films and then learn how to how to use the equipment you know learn how to edit you know learn how to do camera you know we had a we had a guy who came to us um, on miles actually and uh, he was a he was a student at NYU and uh, not a graduate, just an undergrad. And he, he, you know, was kind of focused on editing and he came as an intern, uh, an editing intern. And then the editor, the assistant editor got pregnant. So then he became the assistant editor. And then he uh, received co-editing credit on Miles. Then he was one of the editors on Vic, uh, mm. you know, editing, you know, someplace else, you know, as an editor, you know, and that's, that's all in like, you know, two years or something. But the thing is that he knew how to edit. He knew how technically to use Avid, you know, the, the editing program that we mm. did. You know, he, he, he's on his way. I mean, I mean he, he's, you know, now, you know, paying his rent, buying his groceries from editing films. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And I think, uh, I think you've, it can be said about most professions, but just being having a, a passion and make sure this is something you enjoy doing. I think uh, even as my children get to an age where they're starting to make those decisions, that's um, I think that's uh, the most best bit of advice we can can give the up and coming uh, generations. Um, if you like something, you have a much better chance of being good at it. Yeah, it's like I mean, can you imagine doing something you don't like doing? Because a third of your life or your adult life is going to be spent at least doing that thing, and and if it's something you don't like doing, that's a that's a long time. Um, well, and I mean, it's well. One last thing: uh, Do you think this is a golden age of documentary filmmaking? That's you know we keep hearing about this. Is would that be your impression? It's a golden age of documentary filmmaking for some people, for yeah. people kind of established, and you know. You know, uh, and reached a certain height. You know, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know, I'm being approached and looked at in a very different way than, than I was 10 or 20 years ago. But uh, filmmakers that come through the lab, you know, um, you know, who've done one film, and you know, um, and and it can be a, an award-winning film. You know, an Emmy-winning film, anybody-winning film. You know, usually they're not they're not being chased by uh, the cable. You know, and the streamers, you know, so that that for a few filmmakers that have been making films for years, that have many films under their belt, you know, they're, they're you know, be, because now documentary film is much more of a business. And so, what, what, you know, Hulu, Netflix, Showtime, HBO, uh, ESPN, anybody wants is is to 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 limit their risk. And so, by the limit their risk by you know handling you know uh, veteran filmmakers like old filmmakers like like me and, 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 and they know you know will, will deliver they know you know won't run off to Borneo with their money um, well, I'm thinking about it. but anyway um, so you know I think that that uh, it's it's a golden age for some people you know yeah. I think that for the majority of documentary filmmakers you know there's they're still struggling and in some ways not that much has changed. That's, um, I think that's very interesting. And I think it's a very good point. Um, well, uh, Stanley Nelson, I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been an honor and a privilege to, to chat with you. Um, to remind our listeners, uh, Stanley's the director and producer of, well, so many films, but the main one we've been talking about is Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. If you're a bit unfamiliar with uh, Miles Davis, uh, Go pick up uh, a copy of, uh, or get on uh, any of this, you know, Spotify or any of these things and look up uh, Kind of Blue. 
and then watch this film because I think you'll uh, it I think it quite well sums up um, and gives you an idea for who Miles Davis was and and the life he lived. Um, I want to give a shout out to This Is Distorted Studios here in Leeds, England, and ask our uh, well besides thanking our great listeners, but do remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.